They're being sent out with an urgent task. And that urgent task is that they have the message of life that they are taking to a sea of people who are dying. He gave them authority over the unclean spirits and they're sent out. And if we were to just read that little phrase right there, it would seem to us that the focus is placed upon their authority over the demonic. However, the passage also is telling us that the primary focus of Jesus's entire ministry, as well as the sending out of the apostles, the primary focus was never the demonic. It was never healing. It was never cleansing lepers. It was never uh, healing the sick. It was always on preaching and teaching. And we see this in the passage. We see it in verse uh, verse 11. We read in verse 11 that uh, they are sent out and where they are sent out and they don't listen to your teaching. He tells them what to do for that. We were reminded again in verse 30 when they come back and they tell all that they had done and taught. So we see that just as Jesus's focus was on the teaching, so also the apostles focus is rightly on the teaching. Now, verse eight, and he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff no bread, no bag, no money in their belts. Verse 9, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. So here's the, as the apostles are sent out with this authority over the unclean spirits, we might would expect that Jesus' final instructions for them, these sort of last minute instructions, we might expect that Jesus' instructions would center around what to do when they encounter the demonic. They saw what Jesus did in the synagogue back in chapter 1, the man with the unclean spirit, they, of course, saw what happened as he encountered legion. And so they've witnessed Jesus having power over the forces of the demonic. But they have never done anything of that sort of nature themselves. And so we might expect that Jesus' instructions might be, you know, when you encounter the demonic, here's what you're to do. Here's what you're not to do. But Jesus' instructions have nothing to do with that. In fact, Jesus' instructions take on a threefold sort of directive. Jesus tells tells them what to take, or, or actually specifically what not to take. He tells them how to act, and He tells them how to react. Those are the three facets of His instructions. What to take, and what to leave behind. How to act, and how to react, or specifically how to react to the rejection that they will receive. So let's look at these things for just a moment. Let's just begin by what what they're told to take and what not to take. They're told told to take uh, nothing except, we're told, a staff. So as they're told to take this staff, we recognize that a staff in Scripture is rich, rich with meaning, isn't it? We've read about staffs all the way back from Genesis. We've read about the staff of Moses as he holds the staff out over the Red Sea and the sea parts, or as he holds his staff out over the Nile, the Nile becomes blood, and he holds his staff out and the frogs go away. We've read about the staff of Moses. We've read about the staff of Aaron that budded. We have read about the shepherd's staff that is so prominent, particularly in the Psalms. We've read about the the rod of correction, the rod of training. We've read about the the rod of iron all the way in the Revelation. They're still talking about the rod of iron, which represents the judgment of God. We've read about the staff that symbolizes the leader of the tribe from 1 Kings chapter 4. We've read about the ruler's scepter. 
Hebrews chapter 1, we've read about the staff as a means of, of having something to rest on, Hebrews 11. And we could go on and on because a staff in Scripture is rich with meaning and is found all over the place. So what sort of staff, what's the meaning of the staff that Jesus tells them to take? I, I think that the staff that Jesus is telling them to take is just simply nothing more, nothing less than just a simple walking stick. It's not a, a ruling scepter. It's not a rod of iron. It's just, it's just a walking stick. And we can, we can picture that sort of a walking stick. If you've maybe hiked or walked and you had this long stick and you used it as you were walking along and, and it sort of helps you along. This is the sort of thing they're told to take the staff, but they're told to take no bread and to take no bag. Now the bag would have been a bag that would hold bread for the next day. So if they're taking no bread, then there's also no reason to take a bag. But because they're taking no bag, there's also going to be no way for anyone that they meet who might want to give them bread for the next day or or the return home. There'd be nothing for them to carry that in. So in essence, Jesus is denying them not only the taking of sustenance and food, but he's denying them the means of even receiving some food that would be for an advance, receiving some food for that evening or the next day. Reminds us of the manna, of course, in which they were told specifically, collect only enough manna for right now. Don't collect any and store it up. So they're to take no bag and they're to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. So the instructions that they're given are, in essence, they are requiring of those who are being sent out to be sent out with absolutely no planning and absolutely no provision. And what is the meaning of this? Well, I think that the meaning of this is going to be wrapped up very closely, very intimately with another set of instructions that God gave to his people way back in Exodus. And when I show you this, you'll you'll see right away the parallels and you'll see right away how Jesus's instructions here clearly seem to be taken from God's instructions as he instructs the Jewish people on how to observe the Passover. Remember that from Exodus chapter 12? Jesus or God is describing the Passover meal and he says, here's how you're to eat the Passover meal. In the manner that you eat the meal, you're to eat it with your belt fastened and your sandals on your feet. You see the sandals there and your staff in your hand. You see the staff. And you shall eat it in haste, for it's the Lord's Passover. So the parallels there are hard to miss. So Jesus appears to clearly have in mind God's instructions for the Israelite children in the eating of the Passover as he gives the instructions to those who are being sent out. So why does God instruct the Israelite children to observe the Passover in such a way? So remember the Passover, that meal that was the eating of the Passover lamb and the things that went along with it. And it was that special meal that was eaten on the night that the angel of death visited Egypt and took from every household the firstborn from every house that didn't have the blood on the doorposts. And after that event happened, that was the final straw. And the next morning, Israel was driven out of the land. And in being driven out of the land, the meal and and the, the manner in which they observed the meal prepared them, in essence, for the driving out the next day. So there's two things that I think are are helpful to see about the preparation of the Passover meal in connection with the preparation or the lack of preparation for the disciples being sent out. And one is the urgency of the mission, is the absolute urgency 
urgency of their being sent out. The urgency that revolved around the Passover and getting the blood on the door and eating the meal properly and eating all the meal with nothing left over because Israel was just about to be sent out. There was no more planning, no more preparation that could be done. They were about to go. And so the disciples also are being sent on such an urgent sort of task as this. They are not going out with a message that's a message of, you know, here's a new way of thinking about things. There's this fellow Jesus. We've been following him. Now, you might want to take these things and think about them. And we'll come back in a month or so and check on how. No, this is a message of life and death. This is a message of eternal life and eternal death. And so the urgency of the task weighs heavy upon these apostles as they are sent out. But then in addition to that, of course, is the haste that everything takes place. The sending out in such great haste. And Israelis, remember, they were sent out into the desert, away from civilization. They were sent out into a place in which dependency upon God was going to be paramount that God would literally feed them from manna that came from the sky and water that came from a rock. And so their dependence upon God for their physical sustenance was something that's very visible and very evident right before their eyes. Those are the two things that have to do with the Passover that I think translate directly over to the sending out of the twelve. They're being sent out with an urgent task. And that urgent task is that they have the message of life that they are taking to a sea of people who are dying. And secondly, they are to take that message out in such a way that demonstrates to all who are watching that everything about this mission depends on the providence of God. They take not even any bread or a spare tunic or uh, any bag to even carry some food with them. So God has sent them out and their trust is to be not in their own providence or their own planning or their own provisions or their own resources, but their trust is to be completely and totally in the one who has sent them out. So in this way, they stand for us as examples of all service that is rendered unto God. All of it is dependent utterly upon the providing of God for those whom He sends out. Our our life is is a life of being sent out. Our, Our life is a life of scattering seed. And our life is metaphorically and and realistically just like the apostles demonstrated in such a powerful and clear way that everything about their mission is dependent upon God and God alone. And we're reminded of how this is how God just, He just wants this. This is the method. This is the means. This is how He wants His people to go about the task of scattering the seed with this purposeful and intentional recognition that all things come from Him, that we are dependent upon His hand for everything. And this is how God has displayed Himself from the beginning of the Scriptures until now. Just a couple of examples that pop into my head. Think about Gideon. And how the whole thing about Gideon's attack there was that these, the 30,000 was just too many. And you got to get it down. You got to get it down. And we get down to 300 and God says, okay, this is few enough for me now. Let's go on. Or we think about Jesus's words about the birds of the air or the grass of the field, the flowers of the field. And his point is your father knows just as he knows what the birds need, just as he knows what the flowers need. He knows what you need. And He will provide your every need. 
So this inaugural sending out of the apostles is done in such a purposeful and, and dramatic, if you will, dramatic way as to illustrate to us, number one, the urgency of the task, and number two, the fact that the mission is utterly and totally dependent upon the providence of God. And those who are sent out, we too are utterly dependent upon the providence of God in every way. The barest of essentials are denied the apostles. Now, again, this story is one we must be careful of because this story is not showing us that, that this is how Christians go about the task of scattering seed. You don't make any preparations whatsoever. You don't carry any provisions. That's not what the passage is teaching us. Because again, Jesus will send them out again later, and as He does it later, He'll send them with provisions. This is an illustration for us. And the illustration is, He will deny of them the most barest of planning and provisions to show to them, your help comes from the Lord, not from the bread that you take or the bag that you have. And not only does your help come from the Lord and not from the things that you might take, but your help comes from the Lord in the means of whom He will provide to provide for you on your task of scattering the seed. Look with me at verse 10. And He said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. So what is that all about? What's this command of going to a house and wherever you go, you stay in that house until you leave? Once again, if, if we took this like the first command when Jesus says, don't take any any uh, bag or bread, and the only thing you're to take is, is just your, your staff and sandals. If we were to take that in a very wooden sort of way, then we would all go around in sandals with walking sticks today, right? So we know that, that Mark is not saying to us that this is exactly how God has prescribed that we are to go about our task of scattering seed. So in the same sort of way, if we were to take this very woodenly and very rigidly, then we would say, well, what Jesus is telling them is that whenever you go to a village, then whatever building you enter, that's the only one you can enter until you're ready to leave the village. And so you can't leave. And of course, that's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying to them, in the same way that they are to trust that God will provide the bread that they need to eat, in the same way He will provide the people for them that will supply the bread that they are to eat. So He says, whatever house that you enter... Stay there until you depart from there. He's saying to them, you are to be grateful and contented guests wherever you are to be received. He's saying to them, God will place into their path those who will bless them with the gift of hospitality. But in receiving that hospitality for, from them, they are not to be people who are seeking greater hospitality, should we say, or better accommodations. All right, so in Jesus' world, hospitality held a place that it doesn't have in our world. Hospitality was not only commonplace, hospitality was required. And so if you were a traveler, of course there's no red roof inns or motel sixes, if you were a traveler, then you stayed in the homes of people. And hospitality was just a way of life in that part of the world. And so it was expected, it was required. 
And so you can imagine, though, as these disciples, they are coming with this life-giving message, and they're coming to a village, and perhaps the village has some people in the village that are hearing this message and responding positively to it. And as the disciples might come to the village, and they begin preaching, and they begin teaching, and as they reach this sort of stopping point in the afternoon, late evening, someone comes up to them and says, you know, do you have any place to stay tonight? Well, no, we don't. Well, come and stay with me. Come and stay with me. And so they go and they stay with that person who will perhaps become a brother in Christ to them. And so they come and they stay with that person, but it's a meager sort of place. It's a two-room house. And they sleep on the floor. And, well, the food was just the bare minimums, just some old bread and just a little bit of food, not much with it, no spices and, and no wine to go with it, just water. But it was food and it was a place to stay. And then the next day, they are out on the streets again and they're teaching and people are gathering around. And as the people are gathering around, then the, the evening comes and, and once again, someone comes to them and says, do you have a place to stay tonight? And they say, well, yes, uh, this brother over here, he put me up in his place. Well, you know what? I know him. Let's make up a name. Abraham. I know Abraham. And Abraham is a, is a great fellow. He's been my neighbor. He's been my friend for years. But you know, Abraham has a two-room house. I have a six-room house. We've got plenty of room. We've got an extra bed. We've got some good food. In fact, I've got a lamb that I was just about to slaughter. We're going to have lamb tonight. We're going to have a barbecue. i got a pool out back. Why don't you come and stay with us? And so you see the temptation is to say to this one brother, Thank you, but now I'm going to go over here to this other accommodation. And Jesus is restricting them from that. And I think for two obvious reasons. One, how would that make the first person feel? How would that make that person feel to, to, to then, I guess, come to realize, well, my accommodations aren't quite good enough for this preacher of this message of life, this teacher of the message of life. And so that would possibly create some hard feelings in that way. But I think much more importantly is that would then give the impression to all those who are receiving that message whether well, there's something there's something about those people who are bringing this message that's also a self-advancing kind of thing. Looking out for self. And that this proclamation of the gospel message, this scattering of seeds, carries with it this aspect of the advancement of self. And how can they go about preaching a message of the pearl of great price and how he's worth far more than everything else in their life put together? Or how can they go about preaching a message of seeking first the kingdom of God when they themselves are now making a veil of better accommodations and sort of seeing this, this step up, so to speak? So I think that's Jesus's meaning there. But I think that there are at least two applications that just are in my opinion, screaming to be made. And the first application is one that's quite obvious that all of us who've been around the context of church and churches here in the Western culture, the first world culture, all of us are familiar with. And it's something that I sadly have been familiar with since by the earliest days of my ministry. I've known pastors who think this way and even talk early in my ministry. I remember pastors even talking to me this way, this, this, this idea of, you go to this church for a little while and you sort of stay there for a little bit. And then, well, then you move up to a, a little bit bigger church and then a little bit bigger church and a little bit bigger church. And you're sort of making your way up the ladder. Now, some of that can obviously be from the Lord. 
the Lord can obviously take a servant and prepare him in the context of one body for another body. And he can do that. And his, that's his prerogative to do that. But some of that is entirely self-advancement. Take it from me. Some of that is entirely self-advancement. And so this passage is just knocking at the door to say that's exactly what Jesus is teaching against. The idea of using the gospel message for self-advancement. Now, the scriptures teach us, as the proverb from the Old Testament tells us, that the laborer is, is worthy of his wages. The scriptures teach us that those who minister and labor in the gospel message, are it's right for them to earn their living by means of teaching of the Bible and teaching of the Scriptures. So the Scriptures teach us that. But there's a difference between earning a living and seeking self-advancement, which is what Jesus is teaching against here. The two-room house was just fine. The two-room house, the Abraham, the owner of the two-room house, was led by God to offer to you His house and offer to you His table. Now, in the spirit of godly contentedness, Jesus is saying, stay there until your time is done in that town. 